Friday lunchtime lectures at the Open Data Institute. Okay, so um, I'm from Remote Sensing Applications Consultants uh, Limited. We're uh, an SME based in Hampshire, in Oxford. Um, we specialise in developing uses of aerial photography and uh, satellite data um, in agriculture, forestry and land cover mapping um, areas. Um, so we do a, a mixture of research and uh, provision of operational services. And um, we're here, I'm here with Karen and Dan today to talk to you about Landscape Watch Hampshire, which is a collaboration uh, between our three organisations. Um, to develop a, an innovative solution for the extraction of extra information um, from archived aerial photography owned by Hampshire County Council and um, offered um, on an open basis. Um, and that will all be achieved on an online platform, which I'll, I'll demonstrate to you later. Um, I should mention that the project is, is, um, is supported by Innovate UK, who are, are co-funders in this work. Okay, so I'll, uh, I'll start by handing over to, to Dan, um, who's going to explain a bit about the, the kind of background uh, to the project. Thank you, Tim. All right. Afternoon, all. Uh, yep, yeah, as Tim said, I'm uh, Dan Cooper. I work for Hampshire County Council. Uh, I'm actually here representing a project called the Hampshire Hub which is a partnership of 20 local authorities that are common to the Hampshire administrative area. So that is Hampshire County, we've got 11 districts, three unitaries, two national parks. We've also got Blue Light involved, which is fire and police, and we've got buy-in from DCLG, who are particularly interested around how our local open data can be combined with national open data to provide um, Again, better evidence uh, base for decision-making within uh, the political arena. The Hub is an open data project at heart. It is a platform um, provided by Swirl, which are linked data experts. Um, the data on the Hub currently is um, national data sets, mainly coming from Census, ONS, um, who else we got on there, all the central government um, departments that are publishing open data, but we're looking more and more to add our own local data from the partners to increase the information that's available to help drive evidence-based decision-making. Um, the beauty of it being open is it, it means that we can collaborate on such projects such as this, um, which helps us in financially pressured times. I won't labour the point, but um, the public sector is going through some serious cuts at the moment. And uh, we need to find more innovative ways to deliver our services. And if we can engage with people through the publication of open data, then uh, you know that's something we're keen to investigate and ultimately lead with. Also important to us, uh, because of the you know the financial uh, implications, economic growth. If uh, the publication of open data can help drive the economy in Hampshire. Um, you know, it's often cited that open data will save the economy. If uh, Hampshire can show the way, then that would be a, a good way to go about it. So what obligations do we have? Why, why are we doing this? Um, we uh, have a very long list of, of services to deliver, um, but ultimately we uh, need to deliver services better to our public. Um, we have got areas around our ecology, our landscape uh, planners, we have uh, development monitoring, 
Um, we've relatively recently, within the last few years, become lead local flood authorities. So all of this um, landscape analysis uh, requires us to go out and do um, on-site surveys, um, basically the manual approach, and by involving uh, aerial photography and uh, companies and in, you know, initiatives such as this, then uh, it will help us with that. South Downs and New Forest are two national parks that fall within the Hampshire area, um, and they obviously have at their heart interest in landscape change policy that influences that and um, how their policies affect landscape change and what landscape change can then drive their policies. So what imagery did we make available? Hampshire as part of a consortium with some of the other districts and uh, the blue lights have purchased aerial photography over the years. Um, basically when flying's been good enough we've captured the image. It's, it wasn't good enough between 2005 and 2013 believe it or not. Um, mainly because of uh, cloud cover. But where we've, uh, where we've been able to capture it We've held it locally, we've used it amongst the consortium, but more often than not, we haven't fully exploited the power that, uh, and, the, and the information that's held within the aerial imagery. Lots of people like it, it looks nice on the base map, people can put stuff over the top, but in terms of the information that we're extracting from it, the resource required to do that and the technology to do it has been uh, a limiting factor. So um, working with the likes of uh, Tim and Remote Sensing, offers up opportunities to exploit this further. The 2013 aerial imagery was captured at 12.5 centimetre resolution. Uh, the company who captured that data for us then resampled it at 25 centimetre, at which point we made it openly available along with some height data that was captured alongside it. As far as I know, we're the first authority in the country to make that available. The 2005 imagery was available is being made available for the project via a, a web map service that are um, one of our suppliers provides. And that is me, I think. Karen is... <coughs> so this is the point where I explain why I'm here. Um, so I'm a reader in astronomy and astrophysics at the University of Portsmouth. Um, so that is a bit uh, out of left field for, for what we're talking about here, probably. Um, I'm here because of, uh, you know, uh, the big picture is I'm here because of a higher education drive to take um, the from our research in universities and apply them um, for projects that help uh, the, the great world, the you know, social so projects, knowledge transfer we call it. Um, and so in particular, the technique that I've been involved in um, for the last seven or eight years now is something called crowdsourcing. Um, I'm the project scientist for a project called Galaxy Zoo. Have any of you heard of that? Yeah, so um, this is arguably the most successful online citizen science project in the world. Uh, we've shown images of more than a million galaxies to members of the public and collected more than 120 million classifications of the types and shapes of galaxies. And I use that for my research to try to understand how galaxies form and evolve in the universe. Um, but I'm not going to talk about that today. I'm just going to talk about the technique of crowdsourcing and how we can apply this to a wide variety of um, other similar problems. Um, and so in particular, people um, have a set of skills that are not available in, in uh, computer algorithms. Um, or, or may never be uh, available in computer algorithms. Humans are extremely good at visual perception, at filtering out unimportant information. Um, so for landscape change, that would be things like seasons um, or shadows being in funny directions that are computer
change, but a human would see as not being relevant change. Um, uh, and humans also are good at strategic thinking and sort of planning <coughs> type of things, which can also help with this kind of project. <coughs> However, you know, these large uh, volumes of data make it impractical for a single human or a small team of humans, you know, like a uh, remote sensing team, um, to do all of the data analysis on, on these sets of imaging. Um, and so uh, we are um, trying out this technique of crowdsourcing, putting the imaging available online and inviting people to contribute um, with uh, information, which we then collect together. We tend to collect multiple people's opinions about the changes they see um, in order to um, come up with a consensus uh, view, an accurate view of the change that's seen in, in the set of images. So there are challenges uh, related to this, um, um, but there's also real positives to it. To it, this engages people with open data with projects. Um, from a science point of view, it's engaging the public um, with the topics of my science. Um, you can get a lot of uh, free, uh, or not exactly free, but you can get a lot of uh, labor that you wouldn't have access to any other way um, through this. And so there was a, a, a report that suggested it was contributing 20 million worth of uh, activity do have to worry about the fact that your computer is now a crowd of people. You have to keep them happy, you have to keep them motivated, you have to keep them interested, you have to attract them to the project in the first place. Um, this is why it's not free labour. It is labour that you have to pay for, but just not in a traditional sense. Um, so I mentioned I'm the project scientist for Galaxy Zoo. Galaxy Zoo launched back in 2007 and was very, very successful and inspired the launch of this thing that we call the Zooniverse, which is an, a platform for online citizen science. <coughs> so you can go to the Zooniverse, www.zooniverse.org, and you can contribute um, your uh, brain power to more than 30 different projects now across all areas of academic research. Um, and uh, at Landscape Watch, a project we're not uh, affiliated officially with the Zooniverse, but we are inspired by this technique, and we are trying to use some of the lessons learned um, with our involvement with the Zooniverse to improve the project. So here are some of uh, the Zooniverse projects. Um, I so I can show you my favourite one, Galaxy Zoo, but you can see um, there are across the broad range of different topics, including transcription, looking at videos of chimpanzees, um, all sorts of different things. Um, the Zooniverse is also very keen on opening up citizen science to anyone. Um, so we, at the Zooniverse, we publish as open data all the results of our uh, crowdsourcing, which we intend to do also with, with Landscape Watch, we will publish the resulting classifications. Um, but the Zooniverse is also trying to open up the ability to build a project. So you can actually go to the Zooniverse now and upload your set of images um, and launch your own citizen science project, or a very simple one, on the platform. What we've done at Landscape Watch couldn't yet be launched uh, on, in, on the platform in this way because of the link to mapping and the um, geolocation. Um, but, but maybe in the future it will be, and this is at least a way to get started with very simple projects. And I think now I hand back to Tim. Okay, so our consortium combines the expertise in crowdsourcing from the University of Portsmouth um, with um, knowledge of um, the, the challenges of uh, interpreting imagery and detecting change um, that, that, that my company brings. Uh, and that's linked to um, Hampshire County Council's enthusiasm for open data and the requirements that I have in terms of using such change information within the council, within the Hampshire Hub Partnership. 
and and then making that information available for anybody else in the county or further afield who may be interested in using it. Uh, so together we secured funding from Innovate UK for a project called Crowdsourcing Landscape Change, which is a kind of umbrella um, un within which, or under which we're, we're looking to develop a solution for extracting information from any um, information that might be held by an organisation um, via this sort of crowdsourcing approach with an online platform. So uh, the, the aim is that we, we come up with a way of effectively um, attracting citizens to, uh, to websites um, in order to um, identify or map or describe uh, changes that are visible uh, between pairs of images which represent the same area but on different dates. Um, so you can imagine a whole, a whole number of um, implementations of, of this, this approach. Um, and the first of these that we've implemented is, is Landscape Watch Hampshire, which uh, I'll show you some examples of in a moment. Um, as Karen mentioned, there are challenges uh, with this sort of image interpretation um, to do with uh, sort of contextual considerations, uh, separation of genuine change from apparent change, um, and so on, which automated processes um, are unable to effectively um, solve. And that's why using the crowds seemed to us to be um, the best approach to this. So it's a, a sort of human interpretation, but um, with a much larger workforce than any single team could uh, could commit to, to this sort of thing. Okay, so yeah, we, we're we're going to implement a number of uh, <coughs> examples of this approach within the project, and the first of these is Landscape Watch Hampshire. So um, within this project, uh, we have this task um, where we're asking members of the public to come to our website, www.hampshire.landscapewatch.com, and um, we will show them pairs of imagery from Hampshire County Council's um, archive and ask them to spot the differences. And then the way we're asking those to be recorded is by classifying the land cover on the first date and on the second date, and that way the changes that have occurred um, emerge. So the aim of this project is to provide new open data sets which will give an overall picture of the county, its makeup, the landscape's makeup in terms of a number of land cover classes, and then the changes that have occurred in that time. So this information isn't currently available anywhere else. Um, we've, we feel that it will be interesting to the citizens of Hampshire and, and further afield. And within the council and other Hampshire Hub partners, there are a lot of applications of such information which we, we've identified in the early part of this project. Okay, so um, I hope from this talk you'll be inspired to go and have a look at our, our projects. Um, this is the, the home page of the website. Um, and uh, you can see here we have, um, well, there's more background information about the project. Uh, the opportunity to, to sign up and become a member of our community. Um, and that actually also tracks your sort of activity and allows you to sort of participate in uh, in a kind of um, competitive element of the, of the project. Um, we also have tutorials and help to, to assist people in, in working through this, this activity. So when we actually come to the interface for, for doing the, the change detection, this is, this is what it looks like. Um, 
we have two images. Um, it's the same area on dates 2005 and 2013. There might be a difference in the time is in the season because this aerial photography was acquired over a number of months on each in each year. Um, but generally, yeah, we're looking for what what's changed. And in this example, I've chosen a fairly obvious one um, for this demonstration. Um, we have a, a field with a, a crop growing in it during 2005, which has been uh, supplanted with a, um, a solar farm in, in the, the more recent date. Uh, we have a little map here which shows you the location of the, the cell that we're looking at. This is uh, down in the corner of the, the new forest. And then these are the classes of land cover that we're asking um, members of the public to assign to this to this image. So we have cultivated land, which corresponds to the crop, uh, trees, um, non-vegetated, which is the sort of paved areas, uh, solar panels, and then buildings, water, uh, and then other other kinds of vegetation and park, which is more sort of managed um, areas, gardens, parks, golf courses, and that sort of thing. We also have um, a sort of uh, a forum area, uh, which allows users to discuss either individual pairs of images that might show something interesting, or else uh, ask questions or discuss the project in general. Um, so the process of uh, actually classifying the data is um, uh, for each class that's represented, um, there are measuring tools that allow you to sort of quantify the percentage of this 200 meter by 200 meter square covered by a particular land use and then simple sliders to, to input that data. And you see in the middle of the, the change in this instance is, uh, is highlighted because we've gone from 50% coverage down to zero of cultivated area. So you can do a similar thing for all the other classes and then you see a summary of what's happened in this particular cell. So we've had a, a large loss in cultivated land uh, which is counted by non-vegetated. I've also um, included a a small increase in the area of the tree canopy here, um, which uh, reflects the growth of the trees. We're interested to, because all we want to know is what, what you can see in the image, not what might be underneath things in the image. So the area of trees has grown because the trees have got bigger. So they've got bigger at the expense of other vegetation. Uh, another example here, uh, you can see that uh, this field over here has been partially taken over by a new building development. Uh, there's also some changes over here to, to do with access to that site. So we can uh, classify that in a similar way. So that's the result of, uh, of, of the classification that I interpreted there. So for each cell, we'd have um, a number of interpretations, and then we have algorithms that take a kind of summary, um, a sort of synthesis of all the, the submitted results, so we get a consensus view on what's going on in a particular cell. So for, for cells, you know, we have this sort of data which is generated, and this is going to be made open uh, via the hub, as well as, as results, which I'll show you in a moment. So um, each individual interpretation, and those are then summarized in, in, in some way or other. We've got results for 2005, 2013, and then what are the differences, the, the changes in each, each land type and overall. So once we've got that information for each 200 meter by 200 meter cell covering the county, um, we'll be able to produce maps uh, representing any one of those characteristics. So it might be 
as an example here, um, the, the percentage of tree cover in each cell, which obviously ranges from 0 to 100%. Uh, you can represent that in the sort of heat map, so you can see where the, the densest areas of trees are. Um, similarly, we could produce maps like this for changes in individual classes or the dominant class in each cell or whatever. So we'll be producing outputs like this as well as providing the raw data for anybody else to use to produce their own outputs or process further and generate outputs that we haven't even thought of. Okay, so um, I'll hand over to Karen again to talk about how we so intend to. Pop up again and just tell you a little bit about how you recruit people to, to, to citizen science in crowdsourcing um, and lessons learned from my Easy to say, some might say, but not me. Not me, obviously. <laughs> 
So, yeah, I mean, all of this has to benefit uh, Hampshire's citizens somehow. Um, obviously, we are, I work for a public sector, and at the end of the day, we are key for delivering public service, and um, we have to be involved with projects that uh, achieve that and help deliver that, uh, like I say, in new ways. Um, so, we are looking to engage citizens. Um, I think it is uh, relatively easy to say that public sector tend to be broadcasters rather than listeners. I, hopefully my um, exec member and stuff isn't going to watch this late, but we'll, we'll see. But we need to engage citizens. They are more and more going to drive how we, how we deliver services and where, our, where the money that we get gets spent. So if we can engage them, they can inform us and we can look to deliver services in the right areas. It brings in new information, like we alluded to. It would be almost impossible for us to go out and collect all this information through traditional manual surveys. Um, similarly, the automated approach wouldn't always bring back the results that we want. So if we can bring in new information that uh, citizens and people involved with the project have given us, that is good to go. Efficiency savings, again, I won't labour the point, but if we can do things more efficiently, at the end of the day, it is better for, our, uh, for the public and citizens of Hampshire and people travelling through Hampshire that we can deliver services uh, better, cheaper, uh, and you know, still maintaining quality and reputation. Open data is important to us. Like I said, we are uh, an open data platform and network of, of partners. We are very keen to share this data. Uh, I'll talk about a bit more about what data in a minute, but pushing data out there um, helps us around uh, transparency, decision-making, and reputation. Um, and if we can engage people through the publication of open data, then that is uh, a good thing for us to be doing. It also helps us understand what happens when we engage and open up data. Is there value in us spending time and effort um, finding our data sets, making them available, and spending time on this project. The project was funded by Innovate UK, but, uh, and some of my time was covered up by that as well. <coughs> but it's, a lot of my, it's still a lot of my time to try and get projects like this up and running. And I think there's value in doing it, but we need to see what uh, input we get back from making the data available and engaging the citizens. Um, and then, yeah, the, the, the point at the bottom links back to the uh, obligations. We have to go out and do surveys. We are the lead local flood authority. We have a responsibility around ecology and landscape and driving policy around landscape and so on. So if we can get information around that without doing the work ourselves, or less so than previously, then that is a benefit to Hampshire and Hampshire partners. So what information are we going to put out? I think uh, Tim covered most of it. You can see there was a lot of grids that cover Hampshire. I can't remember how many there are. It's tens of thousands, though. Um, ultimately, it will be um, the grids of change, so how much change has occurred in each of the grids, and then also the raw data that fed that. So Tim showed where we were classifying each uh, classification and percentages. So the, the end result being the change, but also the raw data that fed that change will be made available. If people want to look at that, data and then make, come to their own conclusions or try and, try and inform us of areas that we haven't investigated previously. Again, this is the benefit of making data open and, and accessible. We want, we want people to get engaged and, and help us uh, with this service delivery. Again, I'll talk about the transparency and public perception. 
at the end of the day, the data we collect uh, for the aerial photography was paid for by the public. Uh, is they, they paid for it, we've collected it. So often in the past we've sat on it and no one's really seen the benefit of the money we've spent on it. If we can make that imagery and then the output from that imagery available and other open data projects, it will always, and then make our decisions on that, it will help us on our reputation around transparency and the accountability of the decisions we've made. If people want to question that, like I say, so be it. That is, that is for them to do and us, us to answer. But the evidence base that we've used has been common. So if they come up with a slightly different conclusion or a different idea from it, then we can investigate it or argue it if needs be. But the, the evidence that, that's provided uh, as, is the same. And then from that, we're going to move on to another stage of the project, which yeah, Tim, Tim's going to touch on. Yeah, just to say that uh, this is just the, the landscape watch Hampshire is just uh, the beginning, really. I think we believe we have a concept here that could be applied to data held by any organisation that's a kind of archive of historical changes, um, and not just aerial photography. Um, we, we actually have a plan in a phase two of this current project to <coughs> investigate the, the potential to do a similar thing using satellite data. Um, and actually what we, what we will do is um, look for changes again in Hampshire, but in the next kind of time interval, so from 2013 up, right up until the present day, by comparing that latest aerial photography with a new satellite image acquired this year. Um, so this is something that's uh, in the pipeline. Um, but it will enable us to have a sort of a two-step uh, change data set uh, for, for the county. And also, uh, it gives us an opportunity to, well, first of all, test the ability of, of the crowd to, to make a comparison between two different types of data, which is, again, something that until now we consider to be something quite specialist in terms of what my company is involved in. Um, but also to, to look at um, a different approach to the crowdsourcing task. So um, there's an interest in researching um, other ways of motivating the crowd or perhaps um, asking the questions in slightly different ways. So this is a, an area that, uh, that we're, we're planning to, to look into. Um, but uh, yeah, for now, um, Landscape Watch Hampshire is up and running. Um, again, the URL www.hampshire.landscapewatch.com. Um, we hope that uh, it's going to produce useful data um, uh, for all concerned, that, uh, that we are able to um, provide this picture of the changing nature of Hampshire um, and add value to the open data that the Hampshire County Council have and then uh, add to that by producing these additional data sets that are going to be disseminated on the Hampshire Hub. But uh, for now, the, our main task is um, recruiting volunteers to help us in this task. Uh, and that's why I hope we've uh, inspired you to, to go and have a look at our, our project and uh, maybe contribute the, with interpretation of a few cells. Um, yeah, so that's, that's all, all, I, all we have to present, really. Um, open data being used to generate new open data through this open crowdsourcing approach. So, thank you very much.
You've been listening to a Friday Lunchtime Lecture, brought to you by the Open Data Institute.